Uh, Sue and I don't watch a whole lot of television, but occasionally we will latch on to a favorite show. We'll find something we like, and that, that'll be the only show we watch. We'll go to Netflix, and we'll watch episode after episode over a couple of weeks or a couple of months' time. So our current favorite is The Crown. Have you seen The Crown? It's this historical drama about Queen Elizabeth II, who happens to be the longest reigning monarch in, in British history. 91 years old currently, she's been queen for over 65 years. Uh, I also learned recently she's the most photographed person on the planet, so how about that? But as I'm watching this, uh, this historical drama unfold, one of the things that, that has really struck me is how everybody serves this lady. I mean, if you're queen, everybody serves you. So she's got a staff of 1,200 people who cook for her and dress her and drive her around and write her speeches and so on. And, and then within her family, her immediate family, closest relatives, when they meet her in public, they have to bow down to her, you know, subservient, if you would. Even her husband, Philip, on the day of her coronation, he had to kneel in front of her and devote himself loyally to her and her queenship. All right, and even, even famous people like Winston Churchill, political statesmen, have to do her bidding. So everybody serves Queen Elizabeth, which is why it's a bit extraordinary at her coronation that she makes a decision symbolically to serve somebody herself, to serve somebody else. Now, now here's how it happens. 27 million people were watching back in 1952 when she's crowned king, which is pretty amazing when you stop and think there weren't many TVs then. 27 million people watching on TV, and in the middle of the coronation ceremony, it, the screen goes blank because this is a very special moment. This is a private moment. It's a sacred moment. She's symbolically demonstrating her decision to serve Almighty God. And th 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 this is how it happens. She takes off her royal robe. She takes off her diamond-studded crown. She's dressed in a simple white dress, and she's approached by the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's the head of the Church of England. And he brings oil, and he anoints her hands and her chest and her head with the oil, symbolic of the fact that she is making a decision here to serve God with all her strength, with her heart, with her mind. It's really quite, quite beautiful, and you may not know this, but Queen Elizabeth II is a devoted Christ follower. Jesus is the king she serves. In fact, she's got a, she's got a biography out there that I picked up because I'm now fascinated. I wanted to read about this. And the name, the title of the biography is The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. So you got to serve somebody. Even if you're the queen of England, you got to serve somebody. So who do you serve? I'm calling that today life's biggest decision. Life's biggest decision is who will you serve? In the words of Bob Dylan's song, you got to serve somebody. Now, I want you to turn with me, if you brought a Bible, which I hope you did, that's our book around here, uh, to Joshua chapter 24. Okay, Joshua is the sixth book into your Bible. The 24th chapter is the very last chapter of the book. This is a book that we've been studying for five weeks now as part of a five-week Bible-savvy series. Now, you know, if you've been around here for any length of time, we have a, a Bible-savvy daily reading schedule that we encourage everybody to follow. And so several times a year, we, we do a weekend sermon series on whatever passages you've been reading during the week just to encourage you to, you know, get, get your reading. And so this last week, if you've been following along, you've finished up the book of Joshua. 
someone told me that we have sold a thousand copies of our Bible Savvy Journal in hard copy, which means there are at least that many electronic copies out there. Those of you who have downloaded it onto the, you know, the CCC phone app or on your, on your pad. So many of you are following along, and hopefully you read this past week uh, Joshua chapter 24. And let me say, if you haven't started, if you're not yet a daily Bible reader, our schedule takes us this week into the Gospel of John. It's a really easy place to jump in. Okay, John's Gospel is one of the four biographies of Jesus. And so it's accessible, it's readable, it's applicable for your life. I encourage you to start reading. So, Joshua 24. Let me give you a little historical background to this passage of Scripture. Whenever we look at a passage, we always want to know its historical background. Now, what do we call historical background around here? The C word. What is it? Context. That was weak. All right? So, what do we call the C around here? Context, all right? If you want to understand the Bible you're reading, then learn a little bit about the historical background of the passage you're about to dig into. So let me give you some historical context for Joshua 24. This is Joshua's farewell speech to the people. He's the the leader of God's people who have now settled in the promised land. In fact, there's a farewell speech in chapter 23 as well as in chapter 24. And so, some Bible scholars conjecture that maybe a, a, originally this was one speech and along the way some editor came along and chopped it in half and made two speeches out of it. I don't think so because it's obvious if you read chapters 23 and 24, you got two very different farewell speeches. You know, let me tell you about the background of the speech in, in chapter 24. I mean, for, for starters, it's different in terms of its location. So chapter 24, this farewell speech took place in a town called Shechem. Now Shechem's really important because this is the very location, this is the very spot of land where 600 years earlier, God had appeared to Abraham, their ancestor, and said, I'm going to give you all this land. So now they're settled in the land, Joshua's giving them a farewell speech, and it's taking place in Shechem. The, The other thing that's different between the two farewell speeches is that in chapter 23, the audience are Joshua's buddies, fellow leaders. But in in chapter 24, he's speaking to all the people. In fact, if your Bible's open to chapter 24, opening line of verse 2, Joshua said to all the people. So all the people are being addressed in this final farewell speech. It's also different in terms of its emphasis, the two emphases between chapters 23 and 24. Here in chapter 24, the emphasis or the theme we're going to see is on the faithfulness of God. In fact, the entire first half of the speech is all about God's faithfulness. Verses 1 to 13, all about the many times God has intervened in the lives of his people over and over and over again, he's been faithful. One final difference between the two speeches, they're different in style. When Joshua talks to his fellow leaders, his buddies in chapter 23, he has very informal, laid-back, shop-room talk. But here in 24, as he talks to all the people, it's, it's more formal because he's leading up to a commitment he wants them to make. He's going to challenge them with the question, who will you serve? And he wants them to answer in a formalized sort of way so he can make a covenant before God in, in God's presence. Okay, this is the commitment we're making. So as we take a look at this farewell speech in Joshua 24 today, I'm going to be challenging you with the same question, who will you serve? Who? And I hope you'll choose to serve God. 
So let me tell you three truths from this farewell speech about serving God. Here's truth number one. And if you've got an outline uh, in your program, pull it out and fill it in as we go along. Serve God, number one, because he alone is faithful. Okay, that's the first point Joshua wants to make. Serve God because he alone is faithful. So at the beginning of the chapter, Joshua starts reminding them of the story. Centuries ago, God met with our ancestor Abraham. Now, when God first met with Abraham, Abraham worshipped other gods. His family worshipped other gods. That's what the last line of verse 2 says. You you see it there? Worshipped other gods, the last phrase of verse 2. But but when Abraham encountered God, he had a decision to make, life's biggest decision. And he switched allegiances. He chose to serve the one true God. So fast forward several hundred years, several hundred years later, uh, Abraham's descendants are now slaves in Egypt, and they call out to God, the, the faithful God, God save us. And God intervenes. Now, we're going to jump into the speech at verse 5. Joshua's quoting God here. This is God speaking. God says, Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by by what I did there, and I brought you out, brought you out of slavery. And when I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And then he brought the sea over them and he covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. You know, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, thanks be to God. So Joshua is quoting God and God's saying, you know, I've been faithful to you. you. Remember how when your ancestors cried out to me in Egypt, how I sent to deliver Moses? You, you remember how as you left Egypt, your back was against the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army was coming back to retrieve you, and I split the sea in half, and then I covered his army with that water and drowned him. You remember that? And if, if you go on in this speech that Joshua is giving, and we won't stop to read it now, he continues by Uh, recalling other instances of God's faithfulness. And God says, remember how in the caravan en route to the promised land, between Egypt and the promised land, you you were getting harassed by enemy armies. Remember how I destroyed the Amalekites? Remember how you got to the edge of the promised land and there was this big fortress city, a gateway city called Jericho, and you wondered, how are we going to get around that? And I caused the walls to crumble. Remember that? Remember how once you got into the land, I gave you blessing after blessing after blessing. We're now at about verse 13 of the speech. Drop down there. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil. I gave you cities that you didn't build, and you live in them, and you eat from their vineyards and their olive groves that you didn't even plant. See, time and time again, God proved himself to be faithful to his people. Now, why is Joshua laboring this point? Why does he want God's people to fully understand that God has been faithful to them again and again and again? Because he's about to challenge them. Because he's about to say, who are you going to serve? Serve God. And he wants them to know that serving God is a wise decision given God's faithfulness on their behalf. Given the fact that God is faithful and dependable and powerful and will always be there for you, serve him. Makes good sense. By inference, Joshua is saying, you know, all those other gods you might choose to serve, they won't deliver the goods. They won't deliver the goods. 
Yeah, now, the, the Bible has a word for serving other gods. What is that word? What's it called when you serve other gods? Idolatry. Okay, th this is the most frequently mentioned sin in the Old Testament. Think about that. The sin that God wants to bring to our attention more often than any other is idolatry. And it's brought up in God's word. We're warned against, against it not only because it's sinful and arouses God's anger, but also, according to scripture, because it's stupid. You know, the, the prophets say over and over again, why would you serve a false god when you could be serving a faithful god? Why, why would you choose a false god? Now, frequently in, in my sermons, I like to describe what false gods look like in our contemporary culture because when you hear idolatry, you might think of you know, burning incense to Buddha or Vishnu or some other foreign deity. You know, what does idolatry have to do with my life today? But it's big. You, know, you need to understand what it looks like in our culture today. The best description of contemporary idolatry, worshiping false gods, that I've come across is in a book by New York Times best-selling author Tim Keller. Uh, everything Keller writes is worth reading. Fantastic stuff. But I highly recommend his book, Counterfeit Gods. Keller says that a counterfeit god, you might want to jot this down, a counterfeit god is anything or anyone in our lives that we depend on for significance security, or satisfaction. Let me say that again. A, a false God is anything or anyone in our lives that we depend on for significance, security, or satisfaction. So let's start with significance. What are you looking to to give you significance? Is it your job? You know, maybe a promotion will make you feel significant. Significant? Is it the car you drive? You drive a you know, more expensive vehicle because you like the way it makes you feel significant when you drive it? And what, what are you looking to for significance? Is it having a boyfriend or a girlfriend? You're a high school student and you know, you know it's, it's you know, not great to be a boy and not have a girlfriend or a girl and not have a boyfriend. So it makes you feel significant. Okay, is it being the best grandma in the world? Is it completing a marathon, as some are doing even as I speak? Keller would say, if this is what you're looking for, significance, they're counterfeit gods. Counterfeit. Okay, what about security? What do we look to for security? You know, is it having a, enough money in the bank? Would that make you feel secure if you had a little more money in the bank? Is it eating healthy and working out because, you, you know, you, now you're going to live forever because you're healthy? You, you get security from the fact that you're going to a good college, so when you get a degree from this college, you're secure about getting a job. Or maybe, maybe you feel secure because you've got a group of friends, so when you walk out of the high school cafeteria carrying your tray, you've got a table of people to sit with, makes you feel secure. Keller would say, watch out, you're looking at counterfeit gods. Significance, security, satisfaction. You know, what, what do you look for to bring you pleasure? What do you depend on to make you happy? What gets a, a big chunk of your disposable time and money? Is it your favorite sports team? Is it travel? Is it some hobby that you're, you know, you're very invested in? Is it all the time you spend watching uh, flicks on Netflix? Is it eating out at your favorite restaurant? You know, is this where you get your satisfaction? Keller would say, counterfeit gods. Now, let me remind you what I said a moment ago. False gods are not only sinful, they're also stupid. And Keller explains why they're stupid in his book, and, and the reason is because false gods 
don't deliver. False gods don't deliver. I mean, the things I've been mentioning here, for, for, for one thing, if they're your false god, they're, they're going to disappoint you. You, you could spend a couple of decades giving 110% to some company, and when it comes down to down, downsize, there goes your job right out the back door. And you, you spend Boku bucks taking your girlfriend to homecoming, and two weeks later, she's dating your best bud. <laughs> Ooh. Now, you could root for your favorite sports team, never miss one of their games on, on TV, and they get to the playoffs and they choke. This is not a prophecy, okay? <laughs> this is not a reference to last night's game. Ugh, yeah. Your gods, your false gods, they're going to disappoint you. And not only that, they are, they're, they're powerless. When you're facing a life crisis and you need some help, they are powerless to help you. So, so if, if you've lost your job or you're struggling in your marriage, you're facing a serious illness... You know, maybe you've made a huge moral mistake and you're just feeling shamed by the whole thing. Maybe you've sunk recently into loneliness or, or depression. Let me tell you something about your false gods, whatever they are. They won't lift a finger to help you. They won't. And all of that time and expense you, you've spent on, on what? On sailing, home remodeling taxing your kids to one sports event after another, getting straight A's at school, playing fantasy football, collecting art, you know, well, whatever. It won't bail you out. It won't come to your aid. See, we quickly discover in life crisis that we have been tirelessly serving the wrong God. And that's why Joshua says at the beginning of this speech, he said, choose to serve the right God. Choose to serve the faithful God. Choose to serve the God who will be there when you need him. You get it? Good. So point number one, truth number one in this farewell sermon. Serve God because only he's faithful. Okay, number two, truth number two, serve God by making a definitive commitment to him. Okay, you start with a definitive commitment to him. Now if you're still open to Joshua 24, drop down to verse 14. Joshua says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So in order to serve God, Joshua says, you've got to make a definitive commitment to him. And then he goes on, he describes a yes side to that commitment and a no side to that commitment. Let me begin with the no side. Okay, in the middle of the verse, verse 14, I just read to you, Joshua tells his listeners to say no to false gods. Now, literally, he says, throw them away. You see that, verse 14? Throw them away. Drop, drop down to verse 23. Later in the speech, we read the same thing. Verse 23, now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. See, we can't serve the one true God while we're serving rival gods in our lives. Because God won't put up with competition. Now, now, what does that mean, what I just said? Because just about anything, just about anybody can rival God's place as our number one priority. So what does it mean to throw away all potential rivals? Does that mean you quit your job? Never watch a ball game again? You 
know, downsize your house to a quarter the size, pull your kids out of all extracurricular activities, sell your antiques collection. What, what, what does it mean to throw away? What does it mean to say no to potential rival gods? Well, in, in some cases, let me say, there may be things that we need to get rid of completely. There may be some things that we need to get rid of completely, at least for a time, because they're always getting in the way of our commitment to the one true God. So, so maybe you do have to downsize your house. You know, maybe you do have to break up with your boyfriend. Maybe you do have to tell your kids, no, you're not going to play traveling soccer. Maybe you do have to sell your golf clubs. I mean, if, if something is getting in the way of serving God, you may need to say an emphatic no to it because, friend, it is edging God out of your life. But, but more often than not, saying no to false gods will mean moderation, not elimination. Okay, moderation, not elimination. We, we live in a binge culture. Have you ever noticed that? We are bingers. So it's not enough to watch a ball game on a weekend. We've got to watch five or six ball games, right? See, if you're, if you're into exercise, it's not enough to work out three times a week. You've got to work out every day, hour and a half to two hours every day. Okay, you don't plant flowers in your backyard. You design gardens with, you know, uh, paver patios and fountains and whatever. We're just, we're bingers. Whatever we do, we, we tend to binge on it. You, you collect something, whatever, you, whether you collect, you know, antiques, china, or this or that, you know. It's not enough to have four or five of your favorite things to collect. You collect so many, you've got to build an extra room on your house. Take care of all of it. You, you know, you don't just post occasionally on, on uh, Instagram. You, you own Instagram. Okay, post after post after post after post after post. It's not enough to get one foo-foo drink occasionally at Starbucks. You sit in that drive-thru line every stinking day waiting for your drink. Can't live without it. So we're bingers. We're, I was at a, a hotel not too long ago, and uh, I was surprised to discover there was a Barbie doll convention at this hotel. I mean, I had no idea that there was that much Barbie doll bric-a-brac in the universe. And every time I got in an elevator to go up to my room, I would be, you know, there would be some Barbie fanatics on the elevator focused on Barbie stuff. And I thought to myself, okay, I could see a dollar or two for your kids, but this is, this is nuts. <laughs> but that's, that's the, we're wired to binge, right? So here's my question for you. What are you currently overdoing? What are you currently overdoing that you need to cut back on in order to make room in your life for a commitment to God. Okay, where do you need to make room in your schedule? Where do you need to make room in your checkbook? Where do you need, need to make room in your heart? Because there's no room right there for God right now. Joshua says, false gods, throw them away. You know, either get rid of them completely, at least for a time, or at least determine you're going to moderate them so God can be number one in your life. Now, that's the no side to the definitive commitment that Joshua talks about in 24. There's also a yes side to this commitment. Go back to verse 15 of the chapter. Now, end of verse 14, I read a few moments ago, Joshua says, serve the, serve the Lord. And then he continues in verse 15 with these words. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. Now listen to this next line, because this is what people make wall plaques out of, right? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love Joshua's gusto. I mean, Joshua is not afraid to say loud and clear for everybody to hear, this is what my life is going to be all about. My life's going to be all about God, serving God. Now, he makes this declaration, and then he takes it, this yes to God, he takes it a step further. Drop down to verse 24. The people are so inspired by Joshua's determination to serve God that they respond with a similar outburst. And the people said to Joshua, verse 24, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Now, friends, this is exactly what Joshua is hoping to hear from the people, that they're, they're going to want to serve God. But he's not content to let it be just words. He's not content for it to be an emotional outburst following a motivational speech. And so look what he says in verse 25. Look, look what he does. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. A covenant is a legal contract. So he's saying, okay, you want to serve God? Sign on the dotted line here. A legal contract between God and you. This is what you're going to do. Verse 25 continues, and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. In other words, he says, and before you sign the contract, read the fine print. Because when you say, I'm going to serve God, there's, there's a lot to obey. There's a lot God's going to be asking of you. And then it says, Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Joshua makes a written record of their commitment. I'm going to write it down. And he's not done yet. The verse closes. And then he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. He gives them a visual reminder, a stone monument. Don't ever forget this is what you decided to do. You said you're going to serve the Lord. Do you mean it? Do you mean it? This is what a definitive commitment to God looks like. Have you ever made a definitive commitment of your life to God's Son, Jesus Christ? Have you ever reached that point where you've said nothing else is going to take his place, no other priorities, moving them to the, to the side, throw away the false gods? Have you ever said as boisterously as Joshua did, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm all into Jesus. Have you ever done something physically visible like their stone monument? Have you ever gotten baptized? That's what New, New Testament believers do when they choose to follow Jesus. They go public by getting baptized. Our next baptism service is in November, November 11 and 12. If you've made a decision to surrender to Christ, but you've never gone public with it, show up at one of our orientation classes, our orientation class, and then get baptized on November 11 and 12. Now, there, before we move on to the next point, there's a little two-word expression I want to underscore in verse 15. Okay, I want you to circle this in your Bible. In the middle of the verse, Joshua says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And I want you to circle this day. Because the choice that you face, friends, is a choice you need to make today. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, the day to do it is today. The, the, the day to do it is before you leave the auditorium where you're listening to this sermon, before you turn off your computer that you've been following the service online. Today is the day to make this definitive commitment. That's what it means to serve God, a definitive commitment. 
One final thing, number three. Joshua says in this farewell speech, serve God with his help. With his help. Now, I want to bounce back up in the middle of the speech, verse 18. There's something we skipped over a moment ago. And if you read Joshua 24 this past week, you may have scratched your head when you read verses 18 and 19. In fact, in fact you may have laughed out loud. I know I've laughed out loud when I've, I've come across this section of Scripture before. The people interrupt Joshua in the middle of his speech. Okay, they call out exactly what Joshua is hoping to hear from them, but they call it out too soon. They call it out too soon. Joshua hasn't finished what he wants to say, but before he can finish, look what they say, the closing line of verse 18. The people shout, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Say, boom, this is what Joshua has been hoping to hear from them. He should stop his speech right here and say, great. You know, the people say we're going to serve God. No need for Joshua to keep talking for him to finish the speech, but he does keep talking. And what he says in response to their declaration is somewhat humorous. In verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's going to say, serve the Lord. And they say, okay, we'll serve the Lord. Interrupt him in the middle. And he goes, eh, no, dream on, not going to happen. Say, what kind of a motivational speaker is this? I mean, picture, if you would, you're a football coach surrounded by his team in the locker room before the big game, and he says, we're going to go win, and they say, yeah, coach, we're going to win, and he says, eh, I don't think so. Yes. What is going on here? He asks them to serve God. They say, we're going to serve God, and he says, you can't serve God. One Bible scholar says, this is the most shocking statement in the entire Old Testament. The most shocking statement. Well, friends, I believe it was deliberately shocking. I, I believe Joshua said what he said because he wanted to shock his listeners away from two potential pitfalls. Let me give you these two pitfalls. Okay, number one is he wanted to shock them away from easy believism. He wanted to shock them away from easy believism. Look, look at verse 19 again. I want you to note two attributes of God that Joshua draws their attention to in the middle of the verse. In fact, circle these two attributes in your Bible. They say, we're going to serve God. Joshua says, no, you can't. Why not? Because first of all, God is a holy God. Circle holy. In other words, God's got really, really high standards, friends. And, and then Joshua adds to that, and God is a jealous God. Circle jealous, meaning God wants 100% commitment from you. If you say, I'm going to serve God, God says, okay, you better be all in. No rivals. So what Joshua is saying here is, are you really ready to serve God? Are you really ready to serve a holy and jealous God? One Bible scholar sums up this verse by writing Joshua's dramatic words here emphasize the solemnity, the seriousness of the requirements so as to purge from the Israelites any false notions of cheap grace. Theirs was not to be a nominal, superficial faith. See, when a person decides to commit to God, God wants that decision to be sincere. When a person chooses to commit to God, God wants their decision to be heartfelt and to be fully informed. God, God wants people to understand what it is they're choosing, and he wants them to mean, to mean, really mean their decision. Now, around Christ Community Church, 
You know, we're always inviting people to choose God, to commit to serving God. And I want you to know we, we, we're very careful about the words we use in our invitation. Let, let me give you an example of an expression that we, we try not to use, okay? We, we sort of stay away from, and then I'll give you an expression that we deliberately use. The expression we try to stay away from, and it's one you've heard before, is this. Accept Jesus into your heart. Accept Jesus. In, now, why don't we like that? Well, because it's not quite biblical. Okay, accept Jesus. Okay, well, what does it sound? It sounds like Jesus is on the bubble here, doesn't it? Like, poor guy doesn't have any friends. Would you please accept him? You know, he's, you're, you're on the playground and sides are being chosen up and he's, he's hoping you'll choose him for your kickball team, okay? Or that you'll friend him on Facebook or that you'll go to his Instagram and you'll like his pictures. You know, just tap the little heart, okay? Accept Jesus. See, this is, not, this is not the Jesus of Scripture, okay? The Jesus of the Bible is the eternal Son of God who is the ruler of the universe. Okay, wow, just accept him? So here's the phrase we like to use. Now, by the way, accept Jesus into your heart. It's been around so long, and a lot of people use it, that it occasionally slips into our speech. But we try to avoid it. Okay, instead, the phrase that we often use when we're inviting you to put your whole trust in Jesus, we'll say, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Surrender. Because this says the person you're surrendering to is King of kings and Lord of lords. Okay, he wants the throne of your life. He wants you to get off your throne. He's going to take that seat. This is not easy believism. This isn't, oh, yeah, I believe that stuff about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I was raised Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, whatever. No, this is I surrender my life to Jesus. He's becoming my king. Paul puts it this way, the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, verse 9. He said, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, Jesus is my master, my boss, my king. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay, you got to make the declaration, the surrender. Jesus is savior. Yes, I believe it, that God raised him from the dead, but he's, he's the king to whom I've surrendered. So have you ever surrendered to King Jesus? Joshua wants to shock the people away from easy believism. Some of you are in that camp still of easy believism. You think you're on the inside. Paul says you've got to declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. And then you'll be saved. No getting into heaven. No, no beginning a relationship with God without this surrender. The other thing Joshua wants to shock the people away from is self-effort. Okay, self-effort. Effort When they said, we will serve the Lord, but they said it a little too quickly, Joshua realized they had way too much confidence in their own ability to fulfill that commitment. Now, so, so when he says in response, verse 19, when he says, you are not able to serve the Lord, what he's doing is he's rebuking their cockiness. You know, he's saying, really? No, no. Nobody can pull off this commitment. Not without God's help. I mean, give up your self-effort. Give up your self-effort. Now, let me try and illustrate what I'm saying here with a story I've told before. Uh, but a number of years ago, I was leading a men's group, and we were sitting around a table with our Bibles open. It was the end of our meeting, and as community groups often do around here, we were closing with prayer and asking the guys, hey, what can we be praying about in each other's lives? And uh, one of the guys was vulnerable. 
You know, he piped up and he said, you know, I'm struggling with uh, some sexual temptation in my life. I'd appreciate prayer. And so the rest of us guys, you know, we say, well, you know, we can identify with that. We all, you know, battle that from time to time. Yeah, we need God's help. We need, we need God's help. So we'll pray for you, bro. Uh, all of us said that, except one guy. <laughs> There's one, one dude in the group, and he's newly married. He's like fresh off his honeymoon, hot off his honeymoon. And he looks across the table, and he says to this brother who's been really vulnerable, he says, I don't struggle with that. And he just taps his wedding ring, and he says, that's all the reminder I need. Well, I looked around the group, you know, I thought the guys were going to die laughing. You know, they were choking it back and rolling their eyes. And it, because I'll tell you what we know, and we, we should have borrowed a page from Joshua's playbook here, and we should have said to this guy, here's what we know, you can't do it through self-effort. You can't do it just by looking down at a gold wedding band. You need God's help. And friends, this is true of every area in our lives where we'd like to serve God. I mean, do you want, you want to care for the poor? You can't do it. Do you want to break an addiction in your life? You can't do it. You want to love your neighbor as yourself? Can't do it. Want to become a generous giver? Can't do it. Want to break free from racial prejudice? Can't do it. Want to be an unselfish husband or wife? Can't do it. You want to serve God? You can't do it. In fact, let's say that together. I can't do it. Here we go. I can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it without God's help. Now, what does that mean, God's help? Well, it means that, for starters, God had to send us a Savior. He sent His Son. We were in such a mess, and we couldn't get out of our mess, that God sent Jesus, the eternal Son of God who lived a perfect life, and then laid his life down on the cross. The king of the universe, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, gave his life for me and for you. He took the penalty, the hit that our sins deserve. We separated from God, the giver of life, by going our own way. The penalty for separating from the giver of life is death. Jesus took the death. We deserve to die. And he he rose from the dead in order to offer us forgiveness, in order to offer us new life. All who surrender to him, that's what you get. You get forgiveness and new life. Have you ever surrendered to Jesus? That's how God helps. And then a step further, once you surrender to Jesus, God promises that he'll send his spirit to live on the inside. And without the Holy Spirit on the inside, you can't do it. You know, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the desire to serve God. On any given day when you wake up in the morning, you don't have a desire to serve God. You have a desire to serve yourself in the course of that day. Only the Holy Spirit can give you the want to. I desire to serve God. Where does that come from? It comes from God's Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can give you the strength and the wisdom with which to serve God. Only the Holy Spirit can give you the gifts and the talents and the abilities with which to serve God. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't do it, which is why Christ followers all through the course of their day are saying, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, give me strength. Holy Spirit, I need your wisdom here. You can't do it without Him. So, let me ask you to make life's biggest decision right here. Have you ever surrendered to Jesus? Have you ever consciously, deliberately said, there's got to be a first time to this. If you've never done it, you, you know you, you've never done it. You need to do it today. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that decision, to say, today, I'm surrendering my life to Christ. 
And if you've already made that decision, then my challenge to you as we wrap things up and we move toward a time of communion, my challenge to you if you're a Christ follower is to live in the reality of that commitment. If you've said, I surrender to Christ, then live it. I got a friend who told me just recently, he said, Jim, every day when I get up while I'm still lying in bed, I lift my hands to the ceiling and say, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. I want to serve you today. That's how a Christ follower lives in full surrender to Jesus every day, every moment. So bow your heads with me if you would, and let's pray. And I want to lead us in prayer across four campuses. And those listening online as well, have you ever surrendered to Jesus? you got to serve somebody. And let me tell you, if you're not serving Jesus right now, you're serving somebody or something else, and that false God you're serving is going to disappoint you, and it's going to hurt. And you're going to find yourself in a life crisis, and that false God, what you've been giving your time and your energy, your money to nonstop, it's going to let you down. It's not going to lift a finger to get you out of your trouble. So I call you to serve the faithful God. I invite you to put your hope and your trust in his son who gave his life for you and now desires to be your king. So if you've never prayed a prayer like this, let me give you some words. You don't have to pray these exact words. There's no magic in the words. It's the heart that God's looking at. But can you say something from your heart like this? God, I need you. You know, left to myself, I make a mess of things. I'm sinful, and my biggest sin of all is that I haven't worshipped and served you as the number one priority in my life. So today I want to be forgiven. I want to put my hope and trust in Jesus who died on the cross to take the penalty my sins deserve. If you've never said it that bluntly to him, would you please say it now? Today, say I put my hope and trust in Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. But don't stop there. Jesus is more than Savior. Jesus is King. So say to him and mean it, Jesus, I want you to be my King. I'm not a good ruler of my life. I want to get off the throne right now. I want you to call the shots. I want to learn Listen, I want to learn what it means to follow you. Can you tell Jesus that in your own words from your own heart right now? And I'm going to take it one step further, just like Joshua did with the, the people. He said, uh, you know, if you're going to make this covenant, I'm going to set up a rock monument so you know this is what, this is what we said we'd do. So I'm going to ask you to do something right now, something physical. If you've just chosen to surrender your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you across our four campuses to stand to your feet for one second and sit back down. That's your rock monument right there. You say, I just surrendered to Christ. Good, good. Anybody else? All right, seeing you guys. Who else? Okay, down in Blackberry Creek, out in DeKalb, Streamwood Bartlett, here in St. Charles, up in the balcony on the main floor. If you've never surrendered to Christ, this day, today, make that decision. I'm going to do this. Just stand one second. Sit back down. Give you just a moment more. Anyone else? You know, don't keep serving the false God you've been serving because it's, it's a bad choice. It's a foolish decision. Choose to serve the faithful God. Choose to serve the one who gave you his son. Choose to serve the Lord Jesus. Anyone else? Just stand up and sit back down.
God, I pray for those who've made that decision in their heart, whether they stood or didn't stand. God, I pray for a full surrender. I pray that they would begin to know the presence of your spirit in their lives so that they could live a life that pleases you, God. That's what we want. We want to say thank you for all you've given to us. We want to say thank you with our lives. As we approach communion now, God, it would be unthinkable for us to say thank you for sending your son who gave his all for us if we're not giving our all back to you. And so, God, even as we take communion, let us know where we've strayed. Bring us back. Those of us who've confessed Christ as Savior and Lord, but we haven't been living it, God, bring us back to your path, even as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. We pray in his name. Amen.